Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. JBR Capital has sponsored the Intercooler podcast for several months now. You've probably heard me talk about the company before. In that time, I've come to really understand what it is that makes JBR Capital different to other car finance companies. If I had to boil it down to one thing, I'd say it's this. Car finance is all JBR Capital does. Might sound like a minor detail that, but in fact it's really important. It means JBR Capital has a profound understanding of the car marketplace and of car buyers, an understanding that other finance companies could only hope to have. In fact, that very focused approach is exactly why the company was started in the first place. We recently had Darren Seelig, founder of JBR Capital, on the podcast, episode 106, if you want to go back and listen. And he explained that he started the company when he realized that general finance lenders actually didn't understand cars or car buyers particularly well at all. So he spotted that gap in the market and he founded JBR Capital to fill it. So before you buy your next car, be it a supercar, sports car, classic car, a hypercar, or a luxury car, even if it's a brand new car, go and see what JBR Capital can do for you on the finance side. And it really helps us if you tell them that the intercooler sent you. JBR Capital is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody, for episode 115. Uh, and also welcome back Andrew back from your holiday yeah I felt I felt strangely proprietorial about this podcast and you know Henry's an old mate but I wasn't entirely comfortable with him stepping into my shoes I may, I, I may have to never go on holiday again um, oh dear. but it went well didn't it ah, it was good yeah it was good we had we had a good chat um, I think people like hearing from Henry so hopefully um, hopefully everyone enjoyed that episode but you're equally pleased to have Andrew back this week I'm sure you are thank you so um, much it's a a busy one andrew um there's an awful lot to get through we've been driving some interesting cars um not least the mclaren artura uh, which you can now talk about in detail you can tell us exactly what you think about that car um there's been some motorsport there's been um lots going on including coming up this week the goodwood festival of speed we're not going to preview it because that's not really what we do but um i think it's a nice opportunity to sort of talk about our cherished memories from the Festival of Speed, the highlights from over the years. Um, I'm sure we've both got them. Um, let's just for a couple of minutes, though, talk about the Canadian Grand Prix. Um, it was a good one. It was a, just an interesting weekend um, all round. Wet qualifying, which was 
I, t- I really enjoyed watching that because you could appreciate the skills of the drivers in particular a, a track like Montreal where there is no margin for error with the, yeah. the walls right there um, yeah. and sadly though sadly from the point of view of you know the spectators and those of us who want a championship fight Max was pretty imperious wasn't he he was imperious you know he, he, he put it on pole in those conditions he led from well, I mean, pit stops aside, he led from start to finish. Um, and then at the end of it, where you had the Ferrari on fresh rubber with all the DRS in the world at a circuit where DRS really works and overtaking is meant to be um, far easier than at many other circuits, you know, he was able to hold off Carlos. And I know that Carlos got close, and but I didn't really think that Max was absolutely door handling i think yeah i think you frankly had the situation under control from start to finish um and you're right i think it is ominous um for everybody else uh i i think i'm afraid we could have a very early wrap-up to this season um you know i think i'm sure that red bull have already decided that um you know that perez is going to be cast absolutely in a supporting role not that he hasn't already been doing that um and you know, Ferrari keeps on throwing it away, don't they? And 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 from what we could see in Montreal is that even when they don't, even when they have a completely healthy car on young tyres, they can't quite keep up with Max, even with a, even even with DRS. So, I mean, okay, it's only one circuit, but I think uh, I mean these things do turn around very quickly, don't they? I mean, we all thought that Ferrari were going to run away with it after the first couple of races, and they clearly haven't. So maybe it'll all turn around again. But now the season has settled down. I think we're nine races in, aren't we? Uh, in a 22 race season so we, you know, we're not that far we're only a couple of races off the halfway point um, and you know that Red Bull and that driver of that Red Bull are such a complete package um, Ferrari are not a complete package and you know it was great wasn't it to have Lewis back on the podium again but I think even there you have to temper that with reality and the fact is he was on the podium because Perez retired and because um, Charles had to start from the back of the grid um, on pace alone, that Mercedes is fifth at best. Um, so, and again, from what I understand about the design of the car uh, and what can be done under the regs, um, they're not going to make that up this season. They'd, they, they would have started by now. I know they're fantastic at developing the car throughout the season. And, you know, I'm not even ruling out the possibility that they might win a race or two, you know, towards the back end. Who knows? Uh, maybe after Red Bull have won the championship and they've started focusing on next year's cars, who knows? But I think Lewis is, I'm afraid, out of it. Um, I think everybody's out of it. I think it's, you know, Red Bull are going to have to totally stuff it up for Max mm. not to have back-to-back titles. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's all but a done deal, actually. And I said with on the podcast last week, it feels as though we might start seeing Red Bull turn the screw and start to dominate, and that's certainly what happened um, in Montreal. Um, yeah, it's, science was able to follow closely, but he, it looked like he just didn't have the straight line speed. And actually, he never put Max under any real pressure. Did That's he? It. Never got his nose up alongside or anything. No, no. There was he was just always close. But it, there wasn't even a lunge, was there? It was. No. It was just like in his head, he kind of decided that he was going to try and pressure Max into making a mistake. Well, good luck with that, mm. um, because you know Max very very rarely makes mistakes these days um but that he knew he didn't have 
I mean, he did run the car in very high downforce. Do you remember there was somebody tweeted the difference uh, in the rear wings between Science's car and Leclerc's car? And Leclerc, because he was starting at the back and had to get past people, was running the car very trimmed out. Mm. And it may be that Science just had too much wing on the car and just couldn't get enough straight line speed to get past the Red Bull. But as you say, it, he, you know, Max never looked properly challenged. Not at all. No, that no. Red Bull is mega quick in a straight line. Um, yeah. And so it proved. Um, looking forward to the British Grand Prix, though. It's We've had several street circuits in a row, um, or at least very narrow, tight circuits. Now we're going to a big, expansive one. Fast corners, wide, yeah. smooth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, be interested to see how that changes the, the established order, if at all. Um, but it'd be good to see the, the Mercedes, excuse me, just edge forward a little bit. Um, whether or not that's going to happen, I don't know, but I suppose we'll find out in a couple of weeks. Uh, and also, you know, we, we we have all this, you know, all this hoo-ha over the regs and yeah, and porpoising and bouncing, which aren't the same thing. Um, and whether Mercedes are trying to turn the screws on the organisers to get a competitive advantage, uh, and using the sort of the health of their drivers as an excuse for that, or whether there really is a serious issue. Mm. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how that turns out. But I don't actually really see, um, you know, Silverstone is a is a power and a downfall circuit, isn't it? And it seems to me that the Red Bull has plenty of both. Um, it's funny, yeah. isn't the Honda aren't getting anything out of this, are they? Because they were sort of like officially withdrawn from it, but actually not. Um, and you and know, also, Red Bull have... they, they didn't win the team's championship last year. No? No, they That's didn't. A... Yeah, I, they may well come to regret that. And it's not the first time. They've pulled out at the wrong... Exactly the wrong opportunity, isn't it? I, they, I give you 2009, yeah. Exactly right. It's, so there you yeah. go. Anytime Honda comes into the sport and then quits, just bet your house on, them win, on the team winning the championship the next year because it's, <laughs> it seems to go that way, doesn't it? Um, yeah. A shame for them, actually. But yeah, that does seem like um, at least an equal to any other power unit in F1, Definitely. the Ferrari or the Mercedes. Yeah, um, Absolutely. Okay, well, yeah, so we're edging towards the halfway point in the season, aren't we? Um, and I think it, I think we are seeing things settle down. The Rebel is now reliable, and it is clearly the gun car out there. Um, and with Max at the wheel, bah, it looks fairly unbeatable at the moment. Um, all right, let's clip along a little bit. Um, McLaren Arturis, so the, the embargo uh, lifted last week. So this is our first opportunity on the podcast for us to talk about the car. Um, you've written... A full-length piece, a, two, a really lovely 2,000-word piece for the Intercooler app. Um, if you haven't read it yet and you're a subscriber, go and read it now. Um, but we can talk about it in detail here. Um, first thing to say is you didn't do the media launch in Spain with all the other journalists. Can you explain why and tell us where you did drive the car? Yeah, I, uh, I had the option. I was very lucky. I had the option of either going to Spain um, with everybody else um or driving the car on roads i know inside out um and which are relevant to most of the people that i write for and speak about these cars too um and it just struck me as being a no-brainer the downside was i didn't get to drive it on the track um but you know for me um there's no substitute for driving these cars on roads you know um, under the roads you know and I could go around the test routes that I take everything around um, and in terms of being able to do your job um, it's 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 an absolute no-brainer so um, yep so I drove the car on the, also you know, on those the, uh, that those southern Spanish roads sorry to jump in they're very flattering aren't they 
They can be, yeah, and that's why people go there. Um, oh, they go there, obviously, because the weather's likely to be good. Um, but I had decent weather on the day that I drove the car, uh, and I took it to the Welsh Mountains, which, you know, is as good a place as any on a public road, um, as you can get to exercise such a thing. Um, and I spent many hours in the car um, and felt that I'd really got properly under its skin. Let's just talk about one um, one point apart from how the car drives. This is the way it looks. So this is the, the dawning of a new era for McLaren, isn't it? Um, yeah, it doesn't look first, like it, does it? The first McLaren automotive car powered by anything other than a twin-turbo V8. It's a new wide-angle twin-turbo V6 with plug-in hybrid technology bolted on. But yeah, you've just said it. It doesn't look it. Is that a shame? I think it's a missed opportunity. I actually like the way the car looks. I think if you've never yeah, seen any previous agreed. McLaren, this is McLaren going, hey, this is our, you know, our first road car. You look at it and think, well, that's pretty cool. I think you'd be really happy with it. But I, I think the problem is, is that, you know, this is the car on which so much of McLaren's future depends. Um, it genuinely is all new. If you talk to them about, you know, carried over bits, they start talking about, you know, switches and clips and that sort of thing. But that's it. Um, there really is almost nothing on the car that's been on any previous McLaren. So you'd think they'd take the opportunity to make that kind of visual statement too. Um, and say, look, guys, this really is completely new. And I think, I fear that so many people are going to look at it and think, well, you know, McLaren hasn't it? It's been accused so much over the last 10 years of just, you know, using the same ingredients and mixing them up in slightly different ways um, to create slightly different recipes and slightly different cars. And I think people are going to look at this and think, well, is this not more of the same? You know, it's still, you know, a carbon tub, you know, mid-engine rear drive, two-seat, supercar fine um but they could at least have you know have really made a point about how new that car is by making it look equally new and they haven't um the design director rob melville who i think has done some fantastic cars over the years um this was a you know i think his last car and he's left the company now Uh, i think he's you know he's moved on to other things after you know a good term in office there um but it just no it just doesn't just doesn't look like the brave new dawn that the car clearly is. It's a shame. Mm. It is a pity. Um, so we've already said that you weren't on the launch event, so it's not really for us to to describe what happened. But if you read some of the other reviews um, in the magazines, on the websites, in the videos, journalists, several journalists do refer to reliability issues um, one in particular, Autocar, they, they spoke about a thermal incident, which I don't know if this is exactly what he's describing, but in engineering speak, a thermal incident is a fire. Um, I mean, there have been several other reports. You you didn't have any such issues, did you? No, I didn't. I had, you know, um, I had no issues at all, um, other than the fact that the navigation froze on me, but they told me that it would before I got in the car, and that was just a particular issue with that pre-production unit, so I don't have a, particular, I don't have a problem with that. Um, now, I, and I think we have to be really, really careful with this stuff, um, because we weren't there, we didn't see what happened, we haven't, I haven't spoken to anybody at Autocar or McLaren about it. Um, so, you know, I, I, I read, like anybody else who picks up a copy of Autocar and reads what they read there, that's what I know. Um, you know, clearly you know something did go wrong and it's 
most unfortunate, particularly with this car, which has been, as we know, you know, delayed considerably because they were worried about the quality of the cars and various aspects of its reliability. And, you know, if you're going to do that and then launch the car, it kind of has to be right, doesn't it? It kind of has to not go wrong. And um, it does appear... I don't know how many cars were affected. I don't know the precise nature of what happened. Um, I don't know whether it was, you know, it could have been anything from, you know, the smell of a bit of smoke to a conflagration. I really don't, I have literally no idea. Um, but the fact that we're even talking about it is, you know, is not good, is it? Not when the launch was delayed by around a year. Um, and so it's, I mean, it's got to be concerning for McLaren and for customers, but they assure us, don't they, that these these issues will be, put right before customer cars are delivered um and well i mean I, th- I think the point to make there is that these weren't customer cars yeah and you know you can argue and this is a point that i've made with the lotus Amira, about the wisdom of letting journalists loose in cars that are not representative of production spec um problems resulting particularly for manufacturers like lotus and mclaren which have not always enjoyed the greatest reputation certainly not porsche like reputations for quality control you know as i say you can you 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 can decide for yourself whether it's a good idea to let us in these cars before that or or, or should you delay the cars until they're absolutely production ready um but if you're going to do that yeah we can always flag up um these are pre-production cars but you know the reader or the listener is a canny person these days and you know so many times when you go well this was a pre-production car and we're assured this isn't going to happen on you know product production cars you know the readers or the listeners go well they would say that wouldn't they it just it's kind of like a get out of jail free card for them um and the truth is we don't know what we're driving we know what we're told we're driving and we don't know whether those issues are specific to those particular cars and because of their particular stage of manufacture um all we can do is report what we're told and then what we find and you know the rest is the rest so i don't know but it is concerning Mm. um okay well let's talk about your impressions of the car itself then um yeah should we get the sort of day-to-day stuff out of the way ingress egress how's the cabin is there any sort of real progress made around that stuff yeah well ingress and egress um I sound like really down on this car, and I'm absolutely not, so please stay tuned, because you know, there's an awful lot that's good about this car. Um, but um, I was surprised, given this is an all-new tub, uh, made by McLaren in Sheffield, not imported um, as all previous tubs were from a supplier, um, that it's still difficult to get out of. Um, you know, okay, I'm not, you know, 30 years old, and I weigh a bit more than 10 stone, but even so, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not unfit, I... You know, I'm not unusually proportioned in any way, uh, and I'm not yet incredibly elderly. And I just found it wasn't, you know, a huge issue. But you know, when you get out of the car, you you know, you swing legs out of the car, and then you want to push your body off so you can get out. And then, and with your right hand, which has to do most of the lifting in a right-hand drive car, you've got the side of the tub that that, that, that curves down, um, and there's nowhere to get a proper grip to push yourself up. So the car is more difficult to exit than. I would like it to be, um, and it's something that we've seen in McLarens before. Um, that said, it's incredibly easy to fall into, which is lovely. And once you're in, 
um you know there's so much they get right um you know the driving position is superb the way the um, the pedals and the wheels are and the feel and the shape of the wheel it's almost complete absence of buttons or you know fantastic love all that the visibility is superb they do visibility for mid-engine cars far better than anybody else um the new instrument packs are an improvement um but they still have these spider spidery little letters which um you know i would just rather I would just rather big numbers. I don't understand why they don't have big numbers. You know, if you look back, you know, if you look at a, I don't know, the rev counter from a 1970s Porsche 911, you've got big fat numbers on there, which are easily read. And you can say, why wouldn't they make this stuff um, you know, as easy to read as possible? I don't know. Maybe it's got something to do with style rather than substuff. Who knows? Um, but that's okay. And then you have uh, an enlarged central, for want of a better, less excruciating term, infotainment screen, um, which, again, is a big step forward. But, um, you know, if you look at what Ferrari are doing in that area now, um, which is pretty amazing, again, it is, it's good, it's better, but it's not as good as it could, or you might even say for a car that costs nearly £200,000 um, should be. So... Yeah, I mean, it's fine. Uh, I don't think any of these things is a reason not to get the car. Um, but again, with an all new car, you kind of hope that they would have made greater progress in these areas than they have. Mm. Um, uh, so the stuff that really matters then, let's talk. Yeah. Let's talk steering, ride, handling, then we'll come onto the powertrain. The chassis on that car is on difficult open fast public roads the chassis on that car is just superlative absolutely i mean there, there are times when i found myself literally laughing at how there's a particular road i use which isn't far from where i am um and it runs parallel to dual carriageway um and it used to be the, it used to be the road that people used to go through but now they but when they built the dual carriageway it basically got abandoned um and the surface is a bit rubbish and it's all crests and cambers and tricky stuff here and there and i they take every car down it and it was absolutely unbelievable down there what is so good about it is the way that they don't tie the car down they don't just, you know, put rock solid springs on it. They let the car body, the car's body move, which is what gives you that feel. It gives you that sense of being in touch. But they control that movement so well. You never get any of that sort of heave or pitch or stuff that makes you feel a bit sort of. Uh, it's just, it's it's superbly damped. And remember, this car doesn't have that sort of clever, active, interconnected suspension system that a 720s has. Um, it's, you know, it's still you know coil springs and um all conventional stuff and they have done a a remarkable job with that uh, and that's even before we mentioned the steering um you know unlike the way the rest of the world has got mclaren has remained absolutely adamant that it will keep cars with hydraulic steering for as long as it possibly can uh, this still has hydraulic steering and you just get a better feel for the road and the point is a you know more feel is more fun you feel more connected but actually it's more more important than that because what it means is more confidence and in cars that are that fast particularly if you're going to be driving them quickly in public um you have to be confident in driving them um and i felt incredibly relaxed and at home um driving that car you know amazingly well rewarded but at the same time with this sort of sense that it was you know it was pretty easy so 
and and the ride the ride is firmer than well it's not a replacement for the 570s but it's you know that's i suppose the closest thing to it um it's firmer than that um mclaren say the overall spring rate is equivalent to that of about a 600 lt but you'll know dan having driven 600 lts on the road you know they don't ride badly this rides you know pretty well certainly more than well enough um to be usable every day certainly more than well enough given the level of um handling and grip that are available so yeah i mean the chassis on that car is absolutely outstanding and i think so one other thing that i would say is that you know i think probably the greatest achievement with this car is that they have despite all the package stuff all the hybrid stuff they've had to add to it um it's still lighter than its rivals which don't have hybrids you know this is still din with a 90% full fuel tank, less than a 1,500 kilo car. It's only about 30 kilos heavier than um, a Lotus Amira, which if you think about the, you wow. know, the difference in performance, yeah. um, and the you know, Amira doesn't have a, a hybrid, and, and the Amira is a Lotus, which is meant to be incredibly light. Um, you know, one has 300 and whatever, well, maybe 400 horsepower. The other one has you know, not far off 700 horsepower. And there's like 30 kilos between them, despite the fact that the McLaren has a hybrid system. I mean, it is absolutely astonishing. Um, and so much of what is so good about that, how the Altura is to drive um, basically comes down to that. That is actually extraordinary. Um, and uh, this car, the new McLaren, now has a very trick multi-link rear suspension arrangement, isn't it? Yes. Um, yes. And an Edith. And, and well, that's true. Yeah. So let's talk about those those two things. So um, does this feel like a different kind of McLaren? Because it's got and it's it is now a, a limited slip differential with electronic control, um, Ferrari yeah. style. Um, yes. So what kind of difference does that make? Because that is a departure for McLaren. Yeah, it is. And it's and, and it's a welcome one. I mean, you know, I think you probably know better than most that, um, that there have been times <laughs> when uh, yeah. McLarens have been a bit. Um, um a bit spiky um you know i know you had a particular experience in the 765 lt which you know i didn't have but you know you and others have talked about that um i drove the car only on the road i didn't drive it on the track so there's an entire um sort of dimension of you know skids and everything else which i didn't get into um what i can tell you is the traction is absolutely unbelievable in the car um that it exhibits almost zero turn in understeer and the, and the way the edif works um, which is why it's so clever is it's basically open isn't it, on turning so you don't get that thing that you get uh, which the Amira has um which has a mechanical differential which just pushes the car into understeer on turning um so it keeps the diff open so you just get into the corner really well and then when you need it when you come back on the power it starts locking up um and you get this cork out of a bottle effect coming from you know apex to um to exit uh so the traction is fantastic the balance is fantastic um i mean a road speeds you know all mclarens are so capable that you know it's quite difficult to talk about um you know on the limit because the limit is so far away it's you know it's quite, it's quite difficult to find a lot of the time but what i would say is that in terms of traction and in terms of confidence um it's as good as any car like that that i've driven mm. oh that's interesting um okay and powertrain so it's got this new wide angle v6 so it's it's almost like a flat six isn't it it's so wide um 120 degrees yeah two turbos in the v um with the hybrid yes. assistance so yeah what, what do you think is it is it better is it um progress over the old v8 
I think it's better in every way. Uh, okay, oh. fine. It weighs the hybrid system. Obviously, the three liter V6 weighs less than a four liter V8 or three point eight liter V8. Um, but the hybrid system adds one hundred and thirty kilograms of mass to the car. That's eighty eight kilograms of battery. 15 kilograms of electric motor. It's, a, it's an electric motor giving nearly 100 horsepower, which mm. only weighs 15 kilograms. I can't struggle with my head around that. And the rest of the mass is just all the gubbins and stuff that you need to, to put it in. Um, so, um, so there is, the, 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 there is that. I think, it, I think it's better in every way. And, I, and, and let me just explain a few of those ways. Obviously, there is the fact that it'll go, whatever it'll, 18, 19 miles on electricity, um, alone which has a purpose um, and you know you can plug it in from the mains and you know all the obvious stuff of far more importance to me is the fact that the hybrid system allows this car to g- generate maximum torque at 2250 revs yeah the v8 5000 revs was it 5000 5000 okay mm. so at less than half the engine speed it's already going like a complete lunatic yeah, that's one thing. Um, so that peakiness that people have often referred to with that V8, uh, it's just not there anymore. Uh, the other thing is that, you know, the turbo lag. People have spoken about, you know, the sort of slight delay between application of throttle and reaction from the engine. Well, that's gone too because the hybrid just fills it in for you. Um, so that is, you know, it's game-changing, really. It sounds better than the V8. I just, it's, it's still not a great-sounding engine, but it's got a bit of character to it. Um, it's not just all sort of blood and thunder like the V8 was. Um, you know, you don't need a reverse gear because it just turns the electric motor backwards uh, and always keeps enough <laughs> power in its battery to be able to do that. Um, you know, what else? You have the, you know, you can do many more things um, with the various modes that you have on the car. Um, this one has, you know, usual comfort sport track, but also an electric mode as well. Um, yeah, I, you know, the weight aside, and I suppose people would be saying, oh, yes, if it would, but if it weren't for the hybrid, it would be whatever it would be. It would be a sort of 1350 kilo car um, or dry, a 1250 kilo car. But you know, I, I guess another point with the hybrid is, you remember with their first hybrid, the P1, what they, their only aim with that, their best hope was that in terms of power to weight, the hybrid would be neutral, i.e. its additional weight would be offset exactly by the additional power that it brought. And that's what they achieved. The P1's power to weight ratio doesn't change if you remove the hybrid system. In the Arturia, it does. The hybrid is actually net positive to power to weight ratio. Um, so you know, I guess that's progress. Um, really, I struggle to see the downside of it. I mean, obviously, from a sort of CO two um, and a taxation point of view, there are pro- I'm sure that there are advantages to be had there. Um, it's yeah, it's 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 a win win. And you know, although I fundamentally don't quite like the idea of you know downsizing and fewer cylinders and everything else in this particular example, in this case. It just works. It just really, really works. And, you know, and I think that you know, a little company like McLaren without some massive, you know, OEM automotive conglomerate behind it, creating this brand new 120 degree V6 hybrid twin turbo motor from scratch um, and making it that good, you know, fair play to them. It does sound like an impressive bit of kit, I have to say. Um, so yeah. overall, you you do seem very impressed by it you gave it a nine out of ten 
yeah, overall, I am impressed by it. It's you know, there's nothing else like it. Okay, yeah, there's a two nine six GTB, um, which obviously also has a hybridized you know plug in three liter twin turbo V six mode, but it's so much more expensive and it's much more powerful. I mean, in both in terms of power and price, it's much more closely aligned to a seven twenty S McLaren, uh, and the seven twenty S is going to get a quite a substantial power hike quite shortly um so it's it's a bit of a red herring so in in terms of its price point and you know we think of the rivals like the mc20 um maserati the lamborghini hurricane evo and the ferrari f8 tributo there's there's nothing else like it out there at the moment um and yeah as we've discussed at length it's a car which has its flaws which has its problems you know i hope the stories from the launch don't poison people's view of the car um i don't think they will um i think possibly a bigger fear is that people will look at it and conclude that it's um you know it's not as changed as it is although even there i think that you know were this a you know a mainstream car that would be a real issue but i think that people who are interested in buying a mclaren will do their research and they will realize that it is uh, a new car uh, maybe they will fear that the neighbors won't realize it's a new car i don't know but you know despite its obvious flaws and my eyes are wide open to those um you know i think they have done an extraordinary job with it i think with the powertrain and with the chassis um and the fact that there's nothing else like it out there at its price point um i think you know it, it, it's an amazing car i think they've done an incredible job and I, I i hope it succeeds i want these guys to do well um so you know fingers crossed that it will um so it seems to me that you think the artura is a net better car for having the hybrid tech on it absolutely and there was a time when i never thought i'd say that about it um but it is it is just a better car because there hasn't been an enormous you know the fact that you know why wouldn't it be well the only reason really that it wouldn't be is if the car just turned into this elephant as a result and it hasn't it's still lighter than anything else. It's still lighter than every car without a hybrid system. So, <coughs> you know, that is not, um, you know, the big downside that you'd expect. Also, you know, okay, you might think a downsized engine with smaller cylinder, with, with fewer cylinders isn't going to sound as good. Well, I actually think it sounds better than the V8. Um, and in all other regards, of course, it's a benefit. It's a benefit, well, in all the ways that we've gone into. So, yes, in this particular example... Um, I would absolutely say that the, that the car benefits from being a hybrid, um, which is, is pretty impressive, really. I think we're well into the plug-in hybrid age, aren't we? Um, and we know they're going to live on a bit longer than purely petrol or diesel-powered cars, um, at least for a few years. But I'm, I am now convinced of them. You know, I've just spent a weekend in a Porsche Panamera 4 e-hybrid Sport Turismo Platinum Edition, long old name um and so this is this is the plug-in hybrid version not the really stupid turbo se hybrid with 700 horsepower um this is a a 95 grand car spec'd up to 102,000. it's got a 2.9 liter turbocharged v6 um with 462 horsepower um a good chunk of that coming from the electric motor um porsche says 34 miles on electric rain on electric only um probably 25 you might nudge 30 in the real world um but you know certainly a a good usable um amount of electric range and of course what it also does is improves fuel efficiency in normal driving improves performance this thing 
tanks along, 460 horsepower is still a bloody lot. Um, in a car like that, I don't particularly mind the extra weight of the hybrid. You know, it's it's a big, heavy car anyway. Um, and they do amazing things with with that amount of weight. It's 2.2 tonnes a bit over. But it still drives brilliantly. Um, it's comfortable. It's refined. Um, I borrowed it for the weekend for a camping trip. And three of us piled in with a load of camping gear down to Cornwall. Um, and it was just fantastic. Comfy. Um, pretty spacious, although the, you know this is the Sport Turismo, essentially the high, the estate one. Um, we had to have some of our kit in the cabin rather than the boot because that was so stuffed full of camping gear. Um, but it was just brilliant, and you know it would do an easy thirty miles per gallon. I think on a st- sort of steady motorway run, it would do more. Um, but I'm just, I am sold. I have to say on. Um, being able to plug it in at home, which I can do now, um, or, or at least I would be able to if I had a charge point here, but at least I've got a driveway. Um, and having 25 miles or so purely on electric, that's most of your local journeys, isn't it? That's driving through town, zero emissions. Um, I just think that that really works, particularly for a bigger car like that. Um, well, I mean, it's a you, you, you make a very good point about the bigger car and not minding about the way, because I mean, I've got a... <laughs> Lucky old me, I've got a Mercedes S580e here at the moment, which has a three-litre straight-six engine in it. But because it's got a pretty massive hybrid driver tractor attached to it, it's got over 500 horsepower. But here's the thing. When I charge it up, I get into it in the morning. It's giving me an electric range of 68 miles. Yeah. That's really you know, good, isn't it? Well, I mean... Okay, so on, on, on the current tank... Okay. Um, you know, well, first of all, the range is extraordinary. I mean, I've done nearly 800 miles since I was last in a, in a petrol station. Wow. Um, because so much of those miles are done under electricity and it's doing about 54, 55 for the gallon. I mean, it's ridiculous. Wow. This is a petrol powered, massive 2.2 ton, you know, long limousine. Now, of course, You've got to pay for the electricity that you put in that too. But if you charge it from home, which I do, um, even now the cost of that electricity compared to a fuel or even electricity you buy in a service station is buttons. It's really... So, you know, when this thing turned up, I I was kind of a bit worried about running it because of the costs and thinking, oh God, I wish it was a diesel and everything else. But actually now, using it um, and knowing how many of the hundreds of miles I do in it are done... On electric power alone and i also i love it when it's electric because it, the car is so quiet um you know that kind of plug-in hybrid where you've got an enormous range um you know i can get halfway to london on electricity and i live in wales um it's 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 amazing and you know i i genuinely think that for people who you know do long distances um you know and for taxation reasons and everything else and don't like petrol stations and you know and also just don't like burning huge amounts of fuel um i really really think that there's a role for those sorts of cars but that's the it's the point you made it's the fact you don't mind the extra weight because it's not in a kind of car that's going to be adversely affected by it yeah and somehow the panamera is still really well controlled it still drives really brilliantly when you clip along in it um yeah, so you're getting amazing MPG out of that that Mercedes. Yeah, I mean these are expensive cars; they're well out of my price range, you know. Um, yeah, mine but, too. <laughs> but if I was in that market, I'd I'd be looking at a Fev nowadays, particularly if I could 
um, charge regularly at home, which is absolutely what you have to do with these cars for them to have make to any do. kind of yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, and if I you're did, charging I, a, a fev on a motorway, you, you, you're doing something wrong. Yeah. And um, I do worry about how many of these cars are actually charged. Um, hopefully more nowadays as people become, become a bit more savvy. But I remember particularly when the the Golf plug-in hybrid was new um, or had been around for a couple of years and dealers were reporting people returning cars after two years with the charge cable still wrapped up in its plastic <laughs> covering. You know, they've never used it once. So that in, in that sort of instance, a FEV just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's horribly inefficient. Yeah. But use them properly and they're brilliant. Horribly, yeah, absolutely. Um, higher cars. You've been on holiday. I, th- I suspect uh, this is why you want to talk higher hell. cars. <laughs> I, you know, I had a really nice holiday. I went, I went to Corfu. It, it, a really nice holiday in all regards, save the bloody hike. I, and so the only reason I want to bring this up is I just, I just, you would have thought, given the amount of time I've spent abroad in hire cars all over the world, um, both for, you know, for, for when I've been on holiday, but actually most of the time for work, um, that I would have figured out how to do it. And I still end up with, I mean, actually this one was, was probably the worst car I've ever hired because even the really, really awful cars I've hired in the past, by the time you spent a week or so in them, they've done something to you in a weird, you know, perverse, somewhat masochistic way. There's a tiny, there's usually a little, there's something about them which, you know, finds its way under your skin. Um, and I'm talking about, you know, a naturally aspirated, diesel toyota corolla that i hired in mexico once oh which God. was the slowest thing i've and you imagine and it was so noisy and it was so terrible and yet i don't know it just kind of i, f- I find myself mildly amused by that i i, I rented some ridiculous I, you know, I went to to zambia and thought i was getting a toyota land cruiser and i ended up with a completely knackered old nissan pickup which i drove all over the country and even that i kind of felt a little tinge of emotion to when it went back but the last week i've been driving a second generation citroen c3 and there is nothing there is not one thing about that car that i liked it didn't do anything it didn't even do anything adequately it wasn't even sort of a bit me it was bad at everything <laughs> um it was slow it didn't ride it didn't handle it didn't even it wasn't even economical it's it woofed through the fuel um it was it was i don't mind that it was you know that it was cheap but you know this is a car which allegedly had air conditioning well not that i could see and i don't know it's it's, it's just a funny old game isn't it the the, the the higher car game you always i mean i'm sure you're all the same you always kind of ask for you know, and and they always use focuses and golfs in the in, in in the adverts, don't they? And then they go, this is the this this is the car you'll get. You know, brackets all similar, and the definition of all similar is just is just hilarious. So this time I, I you know I you know I asked for the focus of the golf or whatever, and I got this knackered Citroen C3, and it was just it was appalling, um, <laughs> and I just wondered whether you'd. I mean, have you ever been pleasantly surprised by anything you've ever hired? Oh, there's a question. Uh, not pleasantly surprised. No, I mean they've mostly been adequate. I don't think I've ever had a a properly terrible experience like the one you're recounting here. Um, some fairly ropey things. You know, we had in Mykonos a couple of years ago. We had a, I think it was a Suzuki Alto um, with an auto, um, and that was <laughs> fairly dreadful. But 
No, it got us around. I think the you're island. just more chill. I think you're just more relaxed Maybe. about these things than I am. It really, it really matters to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't expect you know. I, I don't expect expect to have you know sort of nine eleven type driving experience, but I don't want it to be nasty. Yeah, that's understandable. I don't want to get every time I get in the car, think, oh god, I'd, you know, I'd rather be on the bus. Um, mm. But a whatever it was, you know, the two. Th- well, it could have been ten years old. I don't know how old it was, but you know, a Citroen C three of that age without a straight panel on it, no. Nah. Not my idea of fun, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I, I, I do remember a guy's holiday um, in LA and Vegas, and we had a, I don't even know what it was, some sort of MPV thing. What do they call it? Um, I don't know, like a soccer mum car. Uh, maybe it's a Chrysler. I can't even remember what it was. A fairly miserable machine, but because we could get four of us in it, with, all with captain's chairs and all our stuff, we just had a brilliant yeah. time in it, you know. That was fine. And it would have had amazing air conditioning in it, yeah, and it would yeah. have been, you know, it would have been fine. Yeah, it yeah. was spot on. Um, it did absolutely roast its brakes on that amazing run down into Death Valley when you that hill that yeah. just keeps dropping down and the temperatures keep rising. Um, yeah, I wasn't in it at the time. I was in the other car. We had a Mustang, um, but those guys had to stop halfway down because they just totally lost the brakes. So. Maybe they would have a better terrible hire car story than me just because they were in that thing at the time. Um, and you were swanning around in a, presumably a convertible Mustang. It was a convertible Mustang, yeah, and it yes. oh, did the yes. job very well. <laughs> Please tell me it had a V8 in it. It didn't. No. I, oh, I, no. I let us down there. It was so cheap, though. You know, I don't really mind it. Yeah. It's filthy cheap. Um, anyway, so we're not going to do a listener question this week because we're running out of time. Um, so I will just say thank you to JBR Capital for sponsoring the podcast. Um, if you're looking to buy a new car or a used car, go and see what JBR Capital can do for you, do for you on the finance side. Please rate and review the podcast. Um, please do also subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcasts. But before we finish, let's just rattle through a couple of Goodwood Festival of Speed memories because it's on this weekend. Um, it is one of the highlights of the automotive year here in the UK. Um, what stands out when you think back to all those festival of speeds from over the years? Well, I mean, I could just sort of bang on about all the lovely cars I've been lucky enough to drive up there. But actually, what, what, what I like most is, and it's what is best about the festival. And don't get me wrong, I would prefer to go to the revival than the festival um, because that's proper racing always. But you'll never find a wider range of cars anywhere in the world. Um, from you know all the new launches uh, all the new cars many of which have never been seen anywhere in public before to some of the oldest things all the road cars all the race cars the formula one cars the sports cars the touring car it's just the variety and the fact that people could just go straight up to these things and it's an incredibly it's sort of a it's an amazingly democratizing place where you know the only qualification is you have to be an enthusiast um, and that's and you know and if you're an enthusiast um, and you can afford the entry ticket, you can you know you can go and walk up to you know the latest Ferrari Formula One cars, or, or or basically you can think of any car from any era, from any discipline that is your thing, and you'll go and find them there. Um, and that's what I've loved about it from you know from from the very first. I, mean, I was lucky enough to be at the very first Festival of Speed in 1993. So this is the 30th. Well, it's not the 30th festival, is it? But it's the um, yeah, it's 30 years of the festival of speed, and it's 
I've, I've, I've always just been amazed by the quality of the, the stuff they get. There's never a sense is there that they've been resting on their laurels, that it's all got a bit easy. They're always pushing. They're always trying. They're always doing new stuff. Um, and I think, you know, as we have seen the death uh, or certainly the critical endangerment of motor shows around the world, here is this, you know, garden party in the southeast of England, which just goes from strength to strength. And I, I wish it all the very best and hope it does so, continue to do so forever. Yeah, I remember going, um, my dad took me when I was, I must have been 15 or 16 before I could drive there myself. Um, and it's exactly that, the access, um, how close you can get to everything. You know, for a, a car fanatic, motorsport fanatic, a, a through and through petrol head who had no access at that point to um, interesting cars, no way of getting to spend time with great cars. Here they were within arm's reach being absolutely flogged up the hill um the sounds the the sight of them being driven on the door handles it was absolutely fantastic um and i still get a kick out of it now um so yeah festival of speed it is a special thing isn't it um but yeah. we'll we'll leave i'll that. be there i'll be there on friday and saturday so yeah. um yeah hopefully see you down there yeah good stuff um well thanks for listening everybody good to have you back andrew um and let's do it again next week look forward to it